Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. We are going to today finish the Gospel of John in the series that I am in. We're following John to the heart of Jesus. We're going to finish from the gospel, but that doesn't mean we're done. We're just like halfway done. We're going to be going, the next time we're together, we're going to be going into, they're called the letters of John. They're first and second and third John. They're kind of near the end of the New Testament. And so I invite you this week to take your time and read those three letters. We're going to be talking about those in the days to come. So today I want to bring to a conclusion some things from the Gospel of John. And from the Gospel of John, we've not been doing a verse by verse. Instead, we've been taking snapshots because we're trying to understand this unique person, John, the beloved he's referred to, because he refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. He had a unique relationship with his Lord. And so we want to understand the uniqueness of that relationship. It was a beautiful relationship. I think as you peel back the layers of John revealing his relationship with his Lord, you will have some good clues of what maybe you can do to have a deep and an abiding relationship with Jesus. How many here want to have a deep relationship with Jesus? Would you raise your hand? Okay, many of us raised our hand. So if you want a deep relationship with Jesus... This is a great person to study, and we have been doing that. So we're going to uh, pick it up in John chapter 19, verse 25. Follow with me. Jesus is on the cross when he says these words, John 19, 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. In other words, three Marys and his mother's sister or Jesus' aunt. Verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. Father in heaven, we ask that you would help us to not miss what you are wanting to reveal to our hearts today. We just don't want knowledge. We want our hearts to be touched by your word. So we open our hearts to receive it in your loving, your adorable name. Amen. There really is no secret to John's love for the Lord. There's no secret in understanding why he is referred to and refers to himself the one whom Jesus loves. Uh, Just in case you think it is a secret, I'm just going to let the secret out of the box. Here is why the secret of, or why John is the disciple whom Jesus loved. It is this. John stayed close to Jesus. There it is. It's not rocket science. What is the secret of John's relationship? How come there was such deep affection and intimacy? John stayed close to Jesus. That's really largely what all of this is about. When you get through the gospel, we're going to go into these next three letters, and they're love letters. 
He just would not venture far from his Lord. And John is the disciple as he describes himself, he describes himself in his proximity to where Christ is. Isn't that a good word for us? That we need to draw near to him. James 4 says, if you draw near to God, he will what? Finish it for me. He'll draw near to you. If you draw near, if you make him your pursuit and you seek ways to draw near to him, then you will discover him in an ever-enlightening way throughout your life. I want to use two contrasts, just two points this morning. I'm going to be using John because John, and the title of my message here today is Stand Close. And I want to close the gospel by this. If you go through, I believe you go through the gospel, one of the fundamental things you find in John is he never strays far from Jesus. Over and over. And, and that is the theme as I read through it. He keeps pressing in closer. He keeps pressing in closer to Jesus. He doesn't let himself get removed. He doesn't allow things to separate him from Jesus. And can I just freeze frame here for a second? How's it going with you? How's it going with your relationship to Jesus Christ? Are things getting in there? Are you finding, especially summertime, summertimes can be really crazy, and we pursue things in summertime that, that just cause us to get away from Jesus. But it doesn't have to be that way. I was so encouraged last night. We were on Zoom last night. It's our prayer every Saturday night. And you're welcome to join us. Uh, just let us, you can go website, you can click on, you can come on Saturday night, 7 o'clock Zoom. But uh, one of my, our drummer here, BJ and Marissa, they came on Zoom last night. What just blessed my heart. They were out in the middle of Lake Simcoe when they came on Zoom. And, and I remember they popped on and it was 7 o'clock and I go, where are you? And you can see the water. They're out on their sailboat coming on our prayer meeting. Now, don't think I wasn't just a little blessed. I was a little envious, too. I was big envious, but a little blessed. They were out in the waters last night, 7 o'clock to quarter to 8, joining us in prayer, praying with us, out on their sailboat. I've never heard of anything like that. I think that's fantastic. Here's my point. Here's my point. Don't let anything get in the way of you drawing close to your Lord. Don't let anything... And John refused to let life circumstances and life stuff move him away. He drew closer. He kept pursuing his Lord. And you, you read through John, you will see that in his writings, the love, and, and, and encourage you, if you haven't been a part of our first six sessions, go back over them. They're on the web. And you will, over and over, you see John pursuing Jesus. But I want to now show you somebody who did the opposite. He was also of the 12. His name was Judas. And Judas stayed at the edge. I want to contrast this morning these two people, John and Judas. As we get to the end of the book of John, Judas now makes a very prominent reputation for his name, not a good one. And so you have John and Judas. So let's go first of all, let's talk about Judas who stayed at the edge. I don't know if there is much in the gospel of John or any of the gospels that quite shakes us to the core. Like the sudden revelation of what Judas did that day when he betrayed the Lord and the scene around it. I think it's, it's staggering because we didn't see it coming. The disciples certainly didn't see it coming. 
Now, when John wrote the Gospel of John, he's writing years later. He's had decades to reflect on the event. And then when he pens the Gospel of John under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he is looking back and things make sense now. But at the time, they didn't make sense. At the time, they, there was a lot of confusion. There was a lot of mystery. There was a lot of I don't knows around what was happening. And that was true with Judas. You have the picture of Judas traveling with the disciples for those three and a half years, the same time that John traveled. Judas was eating with them, drinking with them, traveling over the country, having crusades, a part of the miracles. He was a part of all the things, the 12 disciples. He was in the midst of them. And it was staggering when it came to the Last Supper when Judas... It was declared he was the one who would betray Jesus. No one really saw that. And I think it's so staggering because in all of us, in all of us, there's, I think, a little bit of those same things that are in Judas. Self-centeredness. We, I struggle with self-centeredness, do you? What about vanity? What people think of you? Do you struggle with that? I don't know anybody who really doesn't struggle in some measure. Selfish ambitions, your pursuit for you that begins to cloud over your pursuit of your eternal destination. When the disciples were sitting around the table in the Last Supper, none of them were aware who the betrayer was. In that great revelation when Jesus was saying, one of you will betray me, they, one after the other, began to say, it could be me, couldn't it? Because as they reflected upon themselves, they realized they had it in themselves to betray him. Probably at times had betrayed him. Probably at times they were ashamed of him. Probably at times they did not step up when Jesus needed them to step up and to come alongside. They knew inside them was betrayal. And so when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, one after the other began to say, is it me, is it me, is it me, is it me? And then Peter, in the mix of them all, looks over to John, who is sitting beside Jesus, and said, John, ask him. And that's that great text where John not only asks Jesus, Lord, who? But John is recorded as describing, he leaned on Jesus. He just put his head on Jesus' shoulder, leaned over on Jesus. And there, we had a whole message on that. Jesus is leanable. <laughs> Jesus is leanable. You can lean on Jesus. And we sing the song, Learning to Lean. You can learn to lean on Jesus. You don't have to learn to lean on everything else before you come to Jesus. May Jesus be him to who you quickly learn to lean on. I lean on you, Lord. Lord, when the circumstances I don't understand, I'm leaning on you. Isn't there a verse somewhere in Proverbs where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he, but lean not on your own understanding, we could probably say, but lean on Jesus. Go back to him, ask him, open up his word and say, Lord, show me what's going on. I'm not sure what's happening. John was the person. Something that sets us apart and the rest of the disciples apart from what Judas did, though, was that day Judas sold his soul to the devil. 
John's gospel tells us things that the other gospel writers don't tell us about the incident of Judas, betrayal, and Satan. When Jesus identified there would be a betrayer at the table, let's pick this up in John chapter 13. We're going to read it together, John 13, 26. Right after Jesus has said, one of you will betray me. And John then leans against Jesus and asks, Lord, who? And verse 26, Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. We're just going to stop there. I want you to note that part, that last verse. No one at the meal understood why Jesus said that to him. John would replay this scene over and over in his mind. And when we read it, it's because he began to understand it years later. But at the time, it was all confusion. It didn't make sense. And that's why even this scene, it would be one of those aha moments. Even then, the disciples were not reading. They could not believe Judas would be it. Not Judas. They didn't read the scene. And it says in this text, in verse 27, as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. John wants to make sure we understand this clearly. An evil spirit did not enter Judas. A demon did not enter Judas. The devil himself entered Judas. The words are clear on this one. You can look it up. Wasn't an evil spirit. John said it. He said, we didn't see it at the moment, he said. But when he looked back, he says, the devil himself entered into him. And here's the thing that I find is also very interesting. When you think about the picture here, note what Jesus said in verse 26. It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Can you picture the scene with me? Picture the scene. There's two hands that would hold one piece of bread at the same time. Two hands would hold one piece of bread at the same time. One hand soiled by silver and materialism and the desires of this world. One hand. The other only a thin glove of flesh cloaking the hand of God. Two hands would hold one piece of bread simultaneously for a second. And in that second, the devil entered into Judas. John gets this looking back, but at the time he didn't see it. But this is the scene portrayed. How that must have been. I, it somewhat staggers me when I think about it. That piece of bread exchanged between the Son of God on one end and Satan, Lucifer himself on the other. Wow. And we have every reason to believe that if Judas in that moment had cried out, Jesus, help me, he would have had the power of forgiveness in that moment from Jesus. 
but he didn't. For what happens next, not only two hands, not only did the hand receive this, but then the feet got up, verse 30, and walked away. So you have a contrast between John. The secret of John's uniqueness of Jesus is that John stayed near. He stood near Jesus. He pursued Jesus. He wanted to get closer. No matter what happened, what confusion, what circumstances of life, he drew near to Jesus. Where Judas, on the other hand, revealed in verse 30, got up and walked away. It would be his last walk, the walk of death. You see those same hands that were matter of inches from Jesus' hands that day would then not long after take a piece of rope, loop it, knot it, put it over his neck, and hang himself. Satan betrayed Judas to Jesus. Satan would then betray Judas to Judas. There's a message the Lord gave me a number of years ago. I've never preached to here. And the message is, never cut a deal with the devil. Never cut a deal with the devil. Why? Because he never follows through. He's a liar. It's his nature to lie. He lies about you all the time. He lies about you to you all the time. He lied to Judas that day. He lied to Judas that this was going to turn out okay. He lied to Judas that he could make it rich and Jesus would just, Jesus would get away from the people that would arrest him. Jesus won't be allowed to be arrested. He lied to him. He betrayed Judas. He betrayed the betrayer. Never cut a deal with him. And so the same hands that held that piece of bread in that moment never could have been closer to salvation, redemption, but then moved away from Jesus. What a picture. What a picture. And I want to ask the question this morning. I think I know the answer. Has the devil betrayed you? Has he promised you something and he didn't deliver? He promised it would be better. He promised if you would do this. He promised if you would just not spend so much time, if you wouldn't pursue the Lord. There are those today who have not come back to church, who are not even pursuing the heart of God because he is betraying. He continues to betray. You don't need to do that. You don't need God. You don't need the body of Christ. He continues to betray. It's what he does. And he moves us away from Christ. John, on the other hand, stayed close. So let's talk about John. I want to get off Judas. Judas stayed at the edge. That was the problem. John, on the other hand, stood nearby. You constantly see this. Of in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of confusion, John drawing close to Jesus. Life is filled with confusion. Life is filled with situations that we just don't get. We just don't understand. Sometimes we're, we're dazed by them and they leave us in a fog of confusion. I remember one incident that took place. It's, it's still really clear to me. It took place back in 1990. It was 10 to 10 on a Sunday morning. I was about to step out of my office to teach Sunday school. I was teaching the adult Sunday school class at 10 o'clock. Our service would start at 11 o'clock. And at 10 to 10, I got a call from my mother. And on the other end, with a shaky voice, she told me my father, she thought, had taken a massive stroke. It was a brain aneurysm. Was taken to the hospital in the middle of the night. He was now being rushed to the university hospital in London. 
he might not make it. That's what I got at 10 to 10 Sunday morning, about to go into the adult Sunday school class. And the world became very confused to me. From that moment, I remember, what do I do? What, what do we do? How's my relationship with him? Where do I go from here? And just and and it just it was a ball of confusion. And, and that day, a lot of confusion. And the day after, a lot of confusion. Three days later, my father would die. And there was so much confusion around all of that. John, when he was at the cross of Christ, there was so much confusion around all those moments. The moment from that moment of Judas and, John, Judas and Jesus and getting up and walking, from that moment on, event after event after event, just a blur of confusion that took place for the disciples. You see, they had traveled for weeks, months, over three years, and they began to see predictability. But in those one to two days, everything became a blur of confusion. It didn't make sense. We look back at it now. It all makes sense. We understood what Jesus was doing. We understood it was the fulfillment of prophecy and that he would go to the cross. It was prophesied. He would die. It was prophesied. He would rise again. It was prophesied. But during that time, it didn't make sense. And listen, isn't that true? Some of you even now, today, there's a lot of stuff going on and it's not making sense to you. It's just a blur of confusion. You know what it's talking about times like that, you want to say, I don't know what's happening. And can I encourage you, don't do a Judas, do a John. You got to get closer. This is not a time to pull back and reflect away from him. It's a time to draw near to him. It's a time to open up his word and to settle yourself before him and say, God, I don't understand it, but I draw near to you. Because there, it will begin to make sense. I believe this is how John felt as Jesus hung on the cross. John's head was spinning. He just wished the nightmare would stop. I mean, you begin to sum up the events around the crucifixion of Christ. And you see where John was situated. I think this is the key to intimacy with our Lord. Around the whole scenes of the crucifixion of Christ, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, John was right near Jesus. He was one of the three that were really close. John was close to Jesus when Peter took the sword and he began to wave the sword at the soldier, cut off the ear. Who knows? John might have got blood on him. He was near Jesus in that scene. John was near Jesus when they were asking, the soldiers and the guard were asking, where is this Jesus? And Jesus got up and he made that great declaration we spoke of a few weeks ago. Jesus got up and he says, I am and John was right near Jesus when the entire guard fell down. When he made that declaration, I am. John was near Jesus. In John 18, 15, when John records Peter following Jesus, and in that courtyard where Peter denied the Lord, in that segment, John reveals in 18, verse 15, that there was another disciple there too. All the commentators believe that was John, because none of the other gospel writers refer to it. John was right there. Even while Peter was denying, there was another disciple hanging out too. He's just called the other disciple. John was near him. During the trial of Pilate at the courtyard, John was in the courtyard. He records every detail of it. When Jesus was being beaten within inches of his life and then being taken and mocked and dragged to the cross, John 
was there. The youngest disciple stood nearby. Here's my point. John never strayed far. He drew close to Jesus constantly. It made no sense. Remember, we look back. All these events make sense to, to us. We're 2020 looking back. But John, none of it made sense. All he knew, he better stay near Jesus. There's a good word in there, isn't there? We better stay near Jesus. It's time to draw near. There might be that word this morning, and I think that is the word. Lord, I need to draw nearer to you right now. Whatever's gotten in, whatever's chewing up my life, whatever's bringing mist and fog into my days, Lord, I, I, I'm drawing near. You carve out those times and draw near to the Lord. Get near to the cross. The late hymn writer, blind Fanny Crosby, who was credited to writing over 8,000 hymns. Can't imagine that. Was blind all her life. She wrote a hymn that was one of the more popular hymns, a hymn that to this day is one of my favorite. Some of you may know it, but let me tell you some of the words to the hymn. This is a blind person, a blind woman, who never had the advantage of ever seeing the colors, seeing the trees, seeing flowers, seeing the birds fly through the sky, the blue sky, the waters on the sea. Never saw any of it. Never saw any of it. But she did see something in her spirit because she wrote hymns like this. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There a precious fountain. Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Second verse Near the cross, a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. There the bright and morning star sheds its beams around me. The third verse, near the cross. You see the common theme she has? Near the cross, I'll watch and wait, hoping, trusting ever, until I reach the golden strand just beyond the river. She understood something about draw near. She would close it up by the chorus by saying, it's in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river, near the cross. John's hero, his leader, the love of his life, would hang on that cross. As Isaiah 52, 14 would say, disfigured beyond any man recognizable. There stood his precious Lord, and John refused to walk away. He stayed near the cross. So beautiful are those words of Jesus from the cross in John 19, 26. We've read those before in the weeks previous. Let me read them again. John 19, 26, the final words of Jesus. 26, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, there he is. What's John doing? Standing nearby. Jesus said to her, woman, here is your son. Make your home with him. You know, we need to get out of our mind that these were majestic words. These were words minute before he died. They were filled with his lungs of asphyxiation. He was, he was, he was dying of his own liquid, his own, his own not able to breathe. And he got that out of him saying, you two be reconciled to each other. You know, if the cross is about anything, it's about reconciliation. When we draw near to Jesus, life gets reconciled. Situations that are estranged are put back together. 
Things that don't make sense come back together and start making sense. The closer we get, the closer that gets to the place where it starts to make sense. Staying near Jesus no matter what. No matter what. If John wasn't that close to the cross that day, he would never have heard those great words of reconciliation for his life. John chapter 12, 23. Jesus would say, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Let me read verse 24 again. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for return. It's not that you hate your it's not that you hate you. It's not that you hate the world. Didn't say that. But in comparison to your love for your Lord, this world has no hold. Don't let it have a hold. And that that picture, unless a kernel falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single kernel of wheat. You know, things in our life die. But when things in my life die and I remain close, I stand close to Jesus, new life is about to resurrect. When things in my life die and I stand close to Jesus, I'm on resurrection ground. There are things in your life, there's been things in my life I can testify to them, where things have died. But as I stand close to him, resurrection life. Note that part, it says, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it remains one. But in your moments of death, in the moments where it doesn't make sense, in the moments where it's difficult, death moments, in those moments, if it dies, it produces much. If we stay close to Christ. As followers of Christ, if part of you has died in time, it was meant to produce many seeds. So the question is, is it producing many seeds? If it's not, draw close to Christ. Have you outlived your grief? Have you outlived your pain? Have you outlived your disillusionment? Have you outlived your depression? Have you outlived your anger? Those are the, there are people who have not. They will walk away. They will go to the fringes. Have you outlived those? So that the tender shoots begin to find new ground in Christ and new life will spring forth. Don't give up. You're in resurrection ground. Tarry. Stay with it until you get that resurrection. Too many people abort the resurrection. Too many people move away. Again, I say the story with Judas. Judas, if you had only cried out to God for forgiveness, he was offering it to you that day. Don't move away. Don't walk away because it doesn't end well. But draw near. Draw near. And you will experience resurrection life. Stand close to Jesus. We get to the end of the Gospel of John, chapter 20, chapter 21. John gives his own account of the resurrection. He tells the whole story of what took place at the tomb. That when the women came back from the tomb, they said, the tomb is empty, and we saw Jesus. Soon as that was said, the Bible says John took off. Peter and John said, Peter got out first, but John outran him. That guy, again, maybe he was just younger and he was faster. I don't know. This Olympic sprinter just took off and he beat Peter to the tomb because John did not want to be far. That's who he was. He did not want to be far. Jesus is alive. Whoa, John's gone. There he is. 
to see Jesus. <laughs> it must have been something. He just wanted to be close. You know, when we get to the very last chapter of the Gospel of John, chapter 21, that chapter centers around mostly a story between Peter and Jesus. John's the one telling it, of course, in the Gospel. But he's telling the story of Peter and Jesus, a story back and forth of Jesus asking Peter, do you love me, Peter? And Peter's response, multiple times, back and forth. But in that whole story of when Peter and Jesus are talking back and forth, John also lets them know there's a third person in that story because John was right there. So close was John that Peter was intimidated by John. When Jesus was asking, do you love me? He could just see, he could keep seeing John right there. It's like every time he wanted to be alone with Jesus, there was John. He's kind of like the teacher's pet. He's just always there. Every time he was having a conversation with Jesus, there was John. I just pray, God, I pray that I'm just the teacher's pet. That I'm just there all the time. That, Lord, when there's conversations, there's a conversation with us that it never strays far from you. And between Peter and John in the very last chapter, there was John. John followed Jesus at all costs. I found it interesting in that same chapter, just moments earlier, when the disciples were out in the boat, and Jesus called out to them. They were coming in from having spent an entire night and not catching any fish. And they were making their way to the shore, and Jesus called out and said, throw your net on the other side. To these seasoned fishermen seemed a silly thing. Why would fish be there instead of there? You know, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. Surely they had thought of that earlier. And Jesus called out, throw it to the other side. And when it happened, I found it interesting. I, read, I looked through the gospel, the 21st chapter of John, the last chapter, the last chapter of the gospel. And John is only recorded to have said four words in the entire, he put himself down for four words. Peter has multiple words. Jesus has a lot of words. There's a lot of words in chapter 21. John only has four words. What's John's final four words in his gospel? Here are the words. It was in that scene where Jesus said, throw the net to the other side. They caught a whole bunch of fish. Here's John's words. It is, four words, it is the Lord. He knew it was Jesus. I mean, there's fog, there's mist. They can't really see the shore very well. But as soon as that happened, he knows him. It is the Lord, his final four words in the gospel. It is the Lord. Only because he was the disciple that stayed near I want to call you to that place today. Draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. You can never draw too near. It's not about coming to church every Sunday, only that could be part of it. It is a regular discipline of drawing near to our Lord, opening up his word, opening up our hearts so the flow will flow, and then drawing near. No matter what is happening, no matter how difficult, no matter how confusing things are, Drawing near. Even though now you think, well, I've tried and it doesn't work. In the confusion, draw near instead of drawing away. And discover what new life. Discover as your life becomes planted as a seed that dies, what resurrection looks like as you draw near to the Lord. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit 
auroracornerstone.ca.